Hello, my friends. Welcome to Spiritual Conversation. I am your host, Jacqueline Clare. And as a special Father's Day treat slash experiment, I'm going to be sharing with you something a little different today. It is a short story that I wrote many, many years ago and just came upon. And I thought it would be a nice and unusual way to celebrate the importance of Father's Day. It had been a brutal summer. Calendrically speaking, it was still summer, but come September 1st, the weather had dropped as low as 90 degrees, and we Austinites were stupidly celebrating our good fortune. I've read that most suicides occur during the spring and summer months. I've wondered whether it's because the sunny beauty outside so mocks the inner bleakness that it finally tips the scale to madness. I wasn't quite there, but I did have a nagging unhappiness peculiar to these perfect days. Maybe it had something to do with Donald Thomas III, otherwise known as Dequan, contacting me. One of Lee's old friends from high school. I found him over a year ago on Facebook and asked if he knew anything about Lee these days. He said not much, just that he lives in New York City and is married. Lee married. What a trip. And a young marriage at that. He broke up with me freshman year of high school after two short weeks of dating. Uh, Evidently, the commitment was stultifying. I remember listening to a lot of garbage and Lisa Lowe back then. The time between meeting and finally leaving is sometimes called falling in love. Daquan wrote me a few days ago to see how I was doing, if I ever found Lee, or if I gave up. The answer was both, and thanks a lot for the recall. I did give up, and forget all about it. And then sometime in January, Lee called me out of the blue. This was eight years of no contact, so crazy out of the blue. I didn't need it. I was happy. I was getting ready for an art show, the floor covered in drying pieces, and my fingernails caked with paint. But there I was, trying too hard to smooth out the gurgling signs of girlhood in my voice, clutching my phone to my ear with knees wobbling at the prospect of proving to my high school heartbreak what a woman I've become. His reaching out to me was the hand of God in a movie played by George Clooney. I carried him with me to the art show, to class at the community college, through my days like a rabbit's foot for good luck. I made it an excuse to write Lisa, a former close friend from childhood through high school. As per her nature, she was nonplussed and I found out had converted to lesbianism. I let time move between Lee and me with dignity because, after all, I'm a woman now. He's in the process of a divorce, and I know how he hates pressure and expectation. I waited until my birthday in late May to come politely knocking for another fix. He didn't write. He didn't call that day or the next. 
I had a shitty 24. I tried again, the subtext being, redeem yourself before it's too late. I sent him a sad face. Then, impulsively, I deleted his number. Not so much to remove temptation, but rather the potential to act on it. I merely castrated the situation. It did not take away the frustration. And here I am, moving on. It's been a few months, and Daquan has to show up, flashing his full-lip grin and asking how the situation is going. Daquan lives in San Antonio and has a five-year-old son with a bright, happy face and a fro. I'm sitting outside, forever the efficiency expert trying desperately to enjoy this beautiful day. I'm reading Sonny's Blues by James Baldwin for school and pleasure. Sonny's lanky, junky frailty and Olympian creative passion bring to mind another so-called villain of my so-called love life. Jason was a drummer. Jason was a barista. Jason was the most delicate, alien, magical, and beautiful man-boy I've ever seen. One inspired day, he decided that I was the one. I'd be the lucky one he'd be brave enough to pursue and just weak enough to let me be run over, a casualty to the steam truck of his self-loathing. I used to come intermittently into the Starbucks he worked in downtown. The first time I was waiting for a friend, it was nighttime. I wasn't really planning to buy anything, but he offered me a free pumpkin spice latte, specially made. He told me afterwards, Maybe it was on 666, June 6, 2006, I should have known, right? That I shimmered. I glowed like I had a spotlight on me, or angel fuzz. When I told my mom, she cried and said that was the most romantic thing she ever heard. For a while, I didn't know if Jason liked me as a woman or just as a sweet friend. God, how I liked every fiber of him, but always respectfully, always humbly and self-effacingly. It seemed by the time everything was out in the open, it was too late. I'd hurt him with my propriety, and his phase of courage had expired with the loss of his job and a relapse into daily pot smoking. We had one last chance. After I moved back from North Carolina, we got back in touch and tried to move along like maybe we could. I didn't feel like he respected me, but his dominating brother and his supermodel girlfriend seemed excited enough to see me back in the picture. One day, Jason called me, once again, my full-spread peacock, like a little boy so proud of himself he could kiss anything in sight. He had stood up to his lecherous female boss at the indie shoe store. After a company trip to L.A., he and a few others had walked right out. I was really proud of him. I thought he'd focus on his art or music, or maybe we'd even create together. I thought maybe it was all going to work out after all. But he never called again. 
When I saw him years later, when I worked with his brother, it was always hugely against his will. He looked at me with the eyes of a man found on the sea floor, too far for any hand, any kiss, any touch, any word, any prayer to reach. Ah, Sonny, Sonny's blues, I sighed. This gorgeous day and I've got a 50-pound chain around my neck. I've wondered how many details of the story my professor, who's missing half a pinky, would quiz me on. I was tempted to look at myself in the outdoor mirror standing tauntingly beside me, but resisted. Better not, I thought, without any makeup and these sad, puffy eyes I know I must have. Then it hit me. Lee and Jason have the same look in their eyes. They both look so unavailable, like a treat that says clearly on the label, I will make you sick, and if I don't, I will make you fat and leave you unsatisfied. Or a shiny new car that says, I will leave you stranded under the worst possible circumstances one day. Then the sun glides down its svelte lines, and you forget and ask where to sign. The ticket price is fine. These beautiful young men, who I've been yoked by for so many years, never lied. Both said the same thing from the very first look. What has killed me again and again, as different as they are, Lee, future yuppies of America, and Jason, future strung-outs of Ashen Dreams Alley, was there all along in their eyes, in that gaze that said, Beware, I am completely unavailable, unreach-able, unreachable. The realization hit me like a shudder and a tear. So I decided to reach out to the one man whom I might hold responsible, who might hold the key. And so I called my dad. Hey, podcast listener, thanks so much for joining me in this artistic exploration today on Spiritual Conversation. You know, this was a new venture for me, so as always and especially, I would enjoy your feedback, and if you enjoy this episode and if it made you think about fathers or special people in your life. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on if you haven't already. And I encourage you to have a beautiful week playing your part, making this world a better place. Catch you next time.